You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I want to hold off on awarding this week's mighty staff of Cork and Carey to the best White Sox player uh, until we have the discussion I want to have today. Because something that's been irking me or bugging me or gnawing away at my brain for the last couple of days, Ed, is who are the assets on this team that I truly value? As we get to about a month away from when teams will have to get their trades done and and the deadline approaching and the all-star break very near, And even though I keep getting this narrative pushed on me that they're only five and a half back or they had just had a really good game, this could be the turnaround. I'm a realist and I understand what the team is. And I think most White Sox fans understand what the team is. You can still enjoy the team. You can still enjoy a game. I got a day planned with dad next Friday. We are going to blow it out. I'm still going to games and having a great time. I'm still going to Cork and Carry at the park before games. I'm still hanging out afterwards. I'm still hitting the big menu and the, and the amazing options at the bar, sitting indoor, outdoor, you know, bringing the kids over when I want to get over there and get them something to eat, and get them fed and get them ready to go before the game starts over in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd in Princeton. But I also wonder who are the real assets and it keeps rattling around in my head. And, and I think I will start with the two guys that I know, and I've only come up with two, two guys that I know I would be furious if they were to move. And that's Dylan Cease and Luis Robert Jr. Do you think there's anybody else on your absolute do not trade list right now? That I would just sit there and say, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you getting rid of this guy? What is the purpose of life because of what you have done here? No, not really. I mean, I, I, I don't think you can make a case for anybody else, really. I mean, I think you could make the case that there are guys that are going to be harder to replace, right? You know, you're not going to have a super easy time going and replacing, say, Yasmani Grandal and Sebi Zavala if you were to trade them both. You just don't have the catchers behind you. To- yeah, but I mean, but but Grandal's gone after this year, and are you really resigning and that's, him? And that's why I'm really not, I'm not, I'm not upset about the idea of him going. Right. But I, my point is, is that, there, there comes a point where you still have to field the team, and sure, if, if you were to sit there and say you could trade absolutely everybody, you know you're not going to, and you can make the argument that certain guys are going to be harder to replace for the end of this year than others. I, I, I pulled Yaz out of a, a out of a hat almost there, but I mean the reality is is that, let's say, more to the point, if you were to trade Jake Berger, knowing that Yohan Moncada is not here, you don't really have like a guy that you're trying out in that position. You know, so it, yes, I think you could trade Jake Berger. I think you would want to get something really good back for him, but I don't know that it serves any particular purpose to see what Zach Remillard does there for the rest of the year. The reason I like those two guys is is a mixture of talent and control. Robert Jr. with options, you got him through twenty twenty seven. You still have several more years because of arbitration with Dylan Cease, and so because of that, I'm I'm not moving on from them yet. Like that, that's why those are two guys that I'm like, you don't, you don't move them. I have a group of other guys that I look at and I say, these are assets. These are guys I'm totally fine with having on my team. And if I deal them away, I expect to get back equal or greater assets in return. 
I don't know if I really expect that will work out because the front office is so terrible at making trades, but maybe Rakan gets fired and somebody else starts making deals and they have a better record than he does when it comes to making trades. Andrew Benintendi, I still think is an asset. There's a lot of Andrew Benintendi hate. There's a lot of people who don't like him because of the money that was attached to him. And we've gone over this because we look at that contract and say, well, he should be the best player on the team. When in reality, that's just an average contract for uh, above average players in, in Major League Baseball that do what he does. I love watching him run the bases. I like watching him take the extra base. I see an awful high baseball IQ with him. And I see a guy who's versatile enough. You can move him in different positions in the lineup, including leading him off. And so when I'm trying to look for stability, I put him on the list. I like Jake Berger's bat. I'm not sure about his defense, but I really like Jake Berger's bat. I think there's a place for him on my team every day, whether or not you, you know, if you didn't have a guy in front of him who was making a ridiculous amount of money for being a below average third baseman in Yohan Moncada, whether or not you want to put him out there and just deal with the defense at third, or whether or not he's a guy that really should be playing first base because he's he's been better this year in my mind than Andrew Vaughn. Or if he's just a designated hitter, I like him. I think Aloy Jimenez is kind of a, eh, he's like a luxury, right? He's a guy that would do really well on a team full of other really high-level players because then you wouldn't be so upset whenever he got injured. He's definitely an asset, right? But he's also somebody that I'm like, if they moved him and they got back an equal asset that I didn't have to worry so much about the injuries, okay, I can kind of get that. Andrew Vaughn underperforms. I blame the organization for that. I think Andrew Vaughn was brought up way too early. And it was all exci- it was really exciting when they told us he was a ready-made player who could just develop at the major league level. But I wonder how much it stunted his growth. Right now, he's average at best over at first base. And in no way does he compare to the last three, four first basemen that we've had here in franchise history. He just doesn't even come close to him right now. But I, I would still call him like an asset. Do you get what I'm saying here? Like there's some guys I call an asset. That may be it though right now, unless you want to throw in the great Zach Remillard in the last couple of weeks. You know, if you want to get crazy, I'm not ready to get that crazy, though. No, well, and I also, Zach Remillard's not going to bring you back much on a trade market, but Zach Remillard's value as a utility guy and 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 your 26th man, sure, he's got value there. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't care if Zach Remillard was on the team in that capacity. I don't want Zach Remillard starting necessarily. I never thought of him as a prospect that you'd want to do that. But I think you had a lot of the guys really, really well there. Andrew Benintendi was signed specifically to do the things he's doing. And again, he's a veteran major league player with a high baseball IQ, like you said. It, it, and if you're a White Sox fan that was expecting 40 home runs off this guy and basically expecting him to be a left-handed Aloy Jimenez or what, what we were told Aloy Jimenez would be at this point, that was never going to be him. However, I, you know, as they've moved him into the leadoff spot, I thought that's actually a really good move you know, to, to have Ben Benintendi leading off. And he's responded really, really well to it. Aloy, you know, I, my worry about him is, is that He's just not the same guy he was before he tore his chest. The, the, last year, he hit for a good average, but the power was down. This year, the power seems to be back, but it seems like he's got to sell out for it a little bit more. And Andrew Vaughn, I absolutely agree. Andrew Vaughn was ruined by this franchise to a certain degree because there's no such thing as developing in the major leagues. It, it, it is just not something that, that really works out for a lot of guys. And baseball history is riddled with guys that were brought along early that eventually had, you know, maybe long careers, but never quite lived up to the hype. And I'm, I'm worried that that's what Andrew Vaughn is. But here's the thing. I wouldn't I wouldn't give up on him yet. At 25 years Me old, neither. I'm not. I, because you know what I think Andrew Vaughn's going to be? Andrew Vaughn's going to be a guy who's going to figure it out as his career goes on. 
but he's going to be maddening the people that expected him to be ready at this point because of the amount of years that he was already in the majors. And they kind of forget that they didn't give him those minor league years to work out the kinks and get used to things. I mean, he's only 25. A lot of guys in their prime at 27, 28, they make a big leap. He could be a guy that does that. So I, I consider him an asset, one, because his OPS is is over the league average. He's got a 112 OPS plus an OPS of 777. He only hits 247, but he slugs 447 and he gets on in a 329 clip, his on-base percentage. To me, that and the fact that he stands over at first base and he doesn't need to be, you know, a gold glove over at first base if he's at least producing above average, he's fine having on your team. Unfortunately, really good teams have guys that play at a higher level at the first base position than what he does. Okay. Oh, yeah. Generally, your first baseman is a guy that is one of the biggest hitters on your team. At least that's what I've gotten used to because, you know, throughout my life, I've had, and I'm the, I'll just go back to when I was a teenager, I've had Frank Thomas standing over there and Paul Canerico standing over there and Jose Abreu standing over there. And Andrew Vaughn is neither of those guys. He's none of them. He's not even close. No, I, I mean, we've also had, we've had guys like Steve Lyons or Greg Norton standing over there too. Right. I don't think he's as bad as that, right? Is he, is he, is he basically, is he basically Greg Walker? Do I go, do I go to the eighties? I don't have Greg Walker's stats in front of me, but that's what it kind of feels like. Like Greg Walker wasn't a guy you ever thought about for the hall of fame, but played a competent first base for a few years. Like, is that what he is? Well, and yeah, you got to look it up. You look it up. <laughs> He's got to look it up. That's great. Because that's that's what it happens to me. Like, to me, I was a child, so I'm not really sure. Yeah. But that's kind of how I kind of picture it. Like, here's a guy. I remember when I went to ball games. I knew Harold Baines was going to hit home runs, and we were going to chant, Harold, Harold. And when Ron Kittle was playing, he'd get up there with those big glasses, and maybe it would land up on the roof. And I knew who the hitters were, and I knew who the pitchers were. And I kind of remember... That Greg Walker was a guy I expected as a kid was more than likely going to be able to get a big hit. So I, I, to me, he was above average at least, but he wasn't a standout like those big names like Thomas and Canerico and, and Abreu, one of which is in the Hall of Fame. Well, okay, so Greg Walker, you want a comparison, 260 lifetime average, 775 lifetime OPS, 113 home runs over 855 games. Hold on a second. Vaughn has got a 777 OPS and Greg Walker had a 775. You see that? Yeah. I was able to draw back yeah. 40 years of my White Sox memories and find a comparable first baseman to Andrew Vaughn. And his name is Greg Walker. I love how I pulled that Greg Walker thing out of thin air. And I can't wait until somebody goes to SaxonTheBasement.com and reaches out and says I was wrong. Like, there's some stat out there that says they're a completely different player. One place that doesn't just fall out of thin air, Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. In Oak Forest since 1985, doing it for 40 years. Exterior windows, doors, patio doors, and storm doors. No high-pressure sales. They're not showing up in your house. They're not telling you, here's the deal, but you got to take it before I leave. They're not bringing in some dingy little sample. No, you go to the storeroom. You don't look in a book. You see all the etchings, all the designs, all the add-ons right there in real life-size examples. Owners in the showroom, owners on site. They don't farm out the work. It's all their own employees. They're going to present you with all major brands, custom-made items, no stock items. It's a perfect fit. One half block east of 159th and Ridgeland, go to 6280 159th Street, or see more at windowdooroakforest.com. Greg Walker, blast from the past. I, I think the home run totals and stuff, you're looking at, 
a guy who hit, you know, a, a maximum of 27 home runs. That was 1987. Vaughn could hit 25 this year. He's got 12 already. He could hit 25 or get oh, to 27 100%. this year. Yeah, he could 100%. get there. But I, so he's an asset. Like, I look at him and I go, he's an asset. He's somebody that I'm still having a positive viewpoint on is Andrew Vaughn. Like, Andrew Benintendi, I think, is an asset because of the way he plays the game. And because, you're right, he, he's not going to hit a ton of home runs. But we said that in the offseason with the signing. If he hits home runs, his average suffers. If it does, if he doesn't hit home runs and he does the little things for you, which we don't have a lot of guys that do that, okay, and he's got a high baseball IQ, and you're going to get somebody who's going to hit in the 280s or 290, then that's a nice guy to have on your team locking down an outfield position. And that's what he's doing. He's hitting 284 right now. And his OPS is right there. He's He's got an OPS plus of 100. So he's what the league averages in OPS. And you don't know what his second half is going to be. And he actually had a slow start, like a lot of guys who come to a new team do. And it, it, what I'm seeing out of him lately makes me sit there and say, okay, I'm not mad about the money because the White Sox should be making a contract like that out to somebody every year and bringing in talent. I agree with you. Andrew Benintendi is an asset as well and should be around the team for the lifetime of his contract or until, you know, they, they don't need him because there's somebody behind him that, that needs to that spot. But I will say this. If Andrew Benintendi was a second baseman and was putting up these numbers, I think everybody would be ecstatic given what we right. had. But, but when you're sitting there saying we're sold that Oscar Colas was going to come up and be a 300 hitter and and smash 40 home runs and save babies from burning school buses. When you get Andrew Benintendi hitting 284 with one dinger on the year, you're sitting there going, "Hey, what 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 gives here?" You know, or when we were expecting, you know, the legend of Aloy Jimenez who was going to come up here and and hit 60 home runs or, you know, sit there and contend for for all the power numbers and the triple crown and everything like that. And maybe Aloy is that guy, maybe he's not, but but we were we were sort of sold this hype, right? And I think that's where the Andrew Vaughn hate kind of comes from. But he's an asset who still has a few good years ahead of him. He's got several good years ahead of him. He should play. He should play at a high level and actually get better over the next five years. Oh, I would expect. I would expect between now and and his his like age thirty three season. Yeah, he should be a very much a viable major league player, if not be able to ascend into fringe all-star status, right? You know, maybe not a guy, you know, maybe never going to hit the highs of Paul Canerico or Frank Thomas, like you said, but Greg Walker's a, I, I take Greg Walker as a first round pick and a guy that, that settles first base for a couple of years. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a little like Joe Creedy without the defense, right? Creedy was never going to light the world on fire, but you still wanted him there, right? You, you liked having him as a third baseman. Would you ever remember Joe Creedy as fondly, if not for the 2005 season? And Andrew Vaughn could have a season like that in the future, and then you'll remember him completely Why do you think you and I had to sit there and re- try and remember things about Greg Walker? Right. Because after the 83 season, everything on the south side was pretty... Pretty bad. Pretty annoyingly bad. Yeah. So, I mean, Greg Walker is kind of there with a bunch of mediocrity. And you're sitting there going, oh, I remember Walker being okay. But you don't really remember how okay he was. It turns out he was really, really okay. So, is there anybody else? Because I, we the names we haven't brought up yet, Tim Anderson, Gavin Sheets, uh, some of the veterans that we know are going to kind of go away, like Yasmani Grandal, Elvis Andrews. Yasmani Grandal is a great asset to trade. Because there's lots of catchers that are out there next year in free agency, and several of them that should opt out, that you should be able to get at a cheaper price than what Yasmani Grandal made this year, and that you should be able to use to fill the role of catcher. And any competent general manager should be, should be able to take care of catcher. So if somebody came knocking, fine. Then go go get something for him. It's totally understandable and totally okay. But I don't, no, I don't consider Elvis Andrus to be an asset. Here's a guy who shouldn't even be playing anymore. Now, give Zach Remillard all the starts over him. Give Give anybody a start over him. 
They had that Jose uh, Rodriguez up here for what? A week and they never even gave him any playing time because Elvis has to play on this sub-500 team that isn't going anywhere? It's stupid. He's not an asset. And and Gavin Sheets, I'm sorry. This is a below-average bench piece that doesn't have a lot of versatility defensively and wouldn't make many rosters in Major League Baseball. He's a left-handed bat off the bench at best in his career. I'm sorry, but that I don't look at him as somebody where it's like, well, we got to we gotta make sure we hold on to Gavin and we give him a lot of at-bats. I don't feel that way about him when I look at him. And, and when you talk about Timmy Anderson, Timmy Anderson hasn't been anything special at all, anywhere close to it for a calendar year now. His back half of last year and what he's done so far this year, where he's hit 227 with a 267 on base percentage, he's got no home runs, and he's got a 534 OPS. He's got a 49 OPS plus, where 100 is the league average. And it takes right, them for, way below average. Right, and the and this this team insists on batting him up towards the top of the order. This guy should have been out of the, the leadoff spot a month ago. He shouldn't bat anywhere except for 789 when he's out there. And he's, and he's average at best at shortstop. He's going to make errors. It was always his bat that overshadowed the defensive miscues and the fact that he wasn't a superstar defensive player, that he was basically average. Okay, and now you're not getting that out of him. I mean, look, if it wasn't such a bad shortstop class next year, you could start arguing over whether or not you really want to pick up the option. If he, if he continued to play this way for the rest of the year, and you had a whole season plus how things went in the second half of the season, and you have all the off-field stuff, and you have him admitting that it's in his head, wouldn't you at some point sit there and say, maybe this guy needs to be someplace else because he ain't never going to get it together here? If he didn't turn it around and you had an option in free agency, which you don't, you would be sitting around right now arguing, you know what, maybe we don't pick up that option we use it some other way. Because what is, what is, he, what is he at this point? I, I hate to say it. I've been a big fan of Tim over the years. We've had... Countless discussions over how he's the, the the engine that makes the car go, but he isn't there anymore. So I don't know how much I consider him to be an asset. Right now, he's a negative asset, much like Yohan Moncada, who gets paid a ridiculous amount of money, who's an above-average defender and a below-average hitter for years upon years upon years, and then his value decreases even more because he's habitually injured. And then, and when he's on the field, his poor play is always explained by a lingering injury that he's dealing with that he'll have to take care of in the offseason. That guy doesn't have any value to me. Unfortunately, stuck because nobody's taking that contract. Yamakata is the picture that should go next to Rick Hahn's press release or the, the press release the White Sox put out about Rick Hahn getting fired. Yamakata's picture should be in the press release because he is a microcosm of all of the mistakes and, and, and all of the errors made by the front office. He might actually be a macrocosm of all the mistakes made, too. I mean, he's that big of a bust, kind of. You know, I, I think you're right about Sheets being, you know, th- this is a guy that's supposed to be a, this tremendous power hitter. And, you know, an OPS in the 700s and 34 career home runs over the course of three seasons isn't much when you when you stop and consider that what you're looking for from your left-handed thumper that, that he's supposed to represent for this lineup is a guy that's going to come close to 34 in one year. And he has played more than a full year's worth of, of games. He's played 200-some-odd games. So he's not, he's not. I don't think, a guy that you're going to sit there and say, this, has got, this, is, this is somebody that's got another gear, right? He's a replacement-level player. That's what he is. Yeah. He really, really, really is. I mean, his, you know, he, he's, he's kind of just a guy. And T.A., yeah, I, this, is, this is a problem. This is going back to knowing when a guy's value is is at its highest 
and understanding what the ramifications are if it doesn't work out. And Tim Anderson is in the is in the process of being a guy that that may not work out for the remainder of his contract, which fortunately is only this year. But again, what are you replacing him with next year? That's going to be the conversation. And what I, I hope doesn't happen is, is I hope they don't try and pull the same trick that they did with Craig Kimbrell, where he became an asset only because Rick Hahn picked up his option and said, he's an asset to this team. And then immediately everybody knew, well, you only did that to try and trade him because you got to recoup based on, on, on the things that you've done, or you've got to try and get something for him before you know disaster really strikes. But Johan Moncada, Tim Anderson, Gavin Sheets, when you're talking about these guys, really what we're saying is they're just not somebody that you're building around anymore, and they may actually be something that is detrimental to the team in a certain way. In the case of Anderson and Moncada, that's becoming more true. In the case of Gavin Sheets, he's just sort of a neutral guy. He's a little like Jake Berger in that regard, where you're sitting there saying, I like aspects of his game. But if they moved on from him, I would absolutely understand, especially if it helped fill another need. Well, here's a funny thing, though, about Berger when you think about Moncada, right? There's got to be somebody upset whenever Jake Berger does well because it makes them look stupid for having you on Moncada under all that money in third base. When Jake Berger plays well, all it does is shine a bigger spotlight on the Yoan Moncada, you know, mistake. Basically, with the option to get out of the last year, over the last two years of his contract, it's about $50 million. Like, he's not he's not worth half of that. No. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. And, and, and here's the other thing. When you're talking about Anderson, you're. I think they'll still pick up the option. I mean, I guess if he hits 220 for the rest of the year and he's miserable, maybe they don't. And they sit there and say, we've got to go in another direction and pick up one of these just kind of guys that are floating around at shortstop. But there aren't, there isn't anything that's that exciting out there. There isn't anything out there that makes me get like super excited about. But again, if the guy has such a bad rest of the season, if he's like this all the way through, do you really want to continue for another year with it? And so I don't, I, it's, it's, it's such a fascinating thing to watch how quickly He's just dropped off, but we're not talking about a couple of weeks here now. We're talking about a calendar year, basically. Yeah, and and, and ask yourself this when you're looking at Tim Anderson: if he finishes the season somewhere in the in the you know below 250, okay, I would say that that's a threshold for him. For a guy that's supposed to contend for batting titles, below 250 is bad, bad, right? If you're talking about just picking up a guy who puts up say Benintendi like numbers somewhere in the 270s to 280s gets on base, hits a few doubles, gets some timely hits, maybe steals some bases, 
has some baseball IQ, plays really solid defense at his position. Is that better than the promise of what Tim Anderson used to be and maybe could be again when you know he's not performing on the field and and sitting there saying, I hope for one year before he is a free agent truly that he turns around and hits 300 some odd, you know, for a batting average and has that high on base percentage and is, you know, he is absolutely the engine that drives the car. Or would you sit there and say, you know, between a guy like Luis Robert Jr., and a guy like Aloy Jimenez, who is still, I think, a premium hitter, and a guy with premium power like Jake Berger has shown, would a competent replacement level or slightly above shortstop who just gives me good, solid defense and, and is good at run prevention and and hits just enough to be worthwhile on the field, is that an improvement over the version of Tim Anderson we have right now? or the version of Elvis Andrews that we have right now, or, you know, insert name here that they've tried to run out there as a second baseman. I, I think the answer would be I'm not, I wouldn't be necessarily upset with that if that's the result, that's where they go. Now, talk to me if Anderson gets hot in the second half and turns, looks like his self from, from a couple of years back. Pick up the option, keep him for, for as long as you can, keep that going. If, if when his head is on right and when he's feeling good physically... I also don't think that Tim Anderson's feeling good physically. I think his shoulder is wrecked in some way. Uh, then, yeah, keep him around, and then I think he can. He's the one guy that we've talked about that can flip from being not being an asset to going back to being an asset. When I look at pitchers, I, I will admit that Michael Kopech is at least enough of an asset that you're keeping him around because you don't have a lot of other options, and he's actually shown some improvement this year. I was down on him at the beginning of the year, but he's shown some improvement. Can he log the innings you really expect from a guy in the top three of your rotation? That is yet to be seen. Uh, Lance Lynn, I don't think I'm picking up the option on. Too many problems this year, too many inconsistencies, and unless he has a big second half, I don't think you're doing that. I think you're going shopping for pitching. Rather than pick up, I think it's like $18 million or something like that. Uh, like I said, Dylan Cease is the one guy in the rotation that I don't want to move at all. And then Lucas Giolito is a guy that they really should be looking at resigning. I don't know why they wouldn't. If they were a big boy baseball club, they would look into resigning, and they would take care of that and they would go get him. He's an asset. If they have no intention of trading him, he's an asset because he's going to bring you back something good if you know what you're doing. And, that, and that's what Lucas Giolito is. Those are, those are your assets right now when it comes to your pitchers. I don't look at relief pitchers as assets unless you're looking to deal them. Like, I mean, you know, Graveman and Kelly, these are guys you might be able to get something for. Liam Hendricks, if he was healthy, I would probably be beating the drum right now for you have plenty of problems besides closer. And if you could get something that's going to help you get to the next level, I would move them to a team that was competing. I would do that with any relief pitcher. If you're not, I, I just made this argument on Bucks in the Basement where I get brought on to talk with Craig Toth out of Pittsburgh uh, just when we talk baseball. And I'm not on every show, but every once in a while I get on there. And I guess they're all having this thing like, well, what do you do with David Bednar out there? And I was like, you know, relievers are a dime a dozen. And if you are finally a contending team, yeah, you want the big closer. But the Pirates aren't a contending team, and they're still looking for things to get themselves better, just like the White Sox are now. That's where we're at. We got to get better somehow. That's the luxury you don't need. And if somebody comes along and says, I'm going to give you a pitcher, like if the Arizona Diamondbacks knock on the door and say, you know what? We're kind of like bouncing around with closers. We'd like a real closer here for this run because we're playing so well, but we have an overabundance of starters, like young guys who are moving back and forth from AAA that could really have a good chance of not only sticking with your team next year, but actually contributing to your team for the next couple of years, I'd make the deal. 
because we have we are low on assets. We have bad debt and we're low on assets and we're getting hit. And so I can make the same argument with Hendricks if Hendricks was healthy. As much as you love him, as much as you love the story, I'd make the same argument with him if he was healthy. Well, and that argument, like you said, goes with Kendall Graveman. It goes with Kenyon Middleton. It goes with Santos, frankly. I know he's a young guy, but still. And certainly Joe Kelly. And and I I agree. I think when, when you look at Michael Kopech, he's an example of what I was talking about before, where sometimes a guy becomes an asset just because you're stuck. And the, and the way this roster is constructed and the extreme lack of depth in the organization whether you think Michael Kopech is worth it or not, you need Michael Kopech. You've got him under control, and you might only have two guys in your starting rotation after this season going into next year without signing free agents, without making trades, because there isn't anything in the minor leagues that is coming up here. We're not hearing about a group of starting pitchers between Birmingham and Charlotte that are chomping at the bit ready to go, like you just described with the Diamondbacks, where they're shuttling guys back and forth trying to figure out Who's hot at the moment that's going to help us in this contention window? No, what you have with the White Sox is is you just don't have anything. You've got quad A guys. You've got filler. You've got, you know, major league fringe players that are sitting down there, and you don't really have a whole lot to, to bank on going into next year. But Kopech is a guy that I think I think you have to list him amongst your assets because you just don't have anything else. You have to hold on to Michael Kopech unless you can turn him into three starting pitchers. You, you you can't do that. You need him there, even if at best he's a fourth starter, and even if he's not a guy that's going to give you enough innings or enough, you know, really have enough impact games, he's it. He's your, he's your de facto number two starter going into the 2024 season because Lucas Giolito's gone, and Lance Lynn is probably not coming back, and Mike Clevenger is probably not coming back. And the minor leagues are bereft of anything. So so then I think we've covered everybody, all the assets. So all that's left is, after talking about this team and looking at the last week, who holds the mighty staff of Cork and Carey? All right. I am going to make Andrew Benintendi and Luis Robert give a tug of war for it. Benintendi's hitting 417 <laughs> with a, a OPS over 1,000. Yeah. Robert's 346 with an OPS of 1.269. Uh-huh. Benintendi is leading the team in hits over the last week. Robert is leading the team in home runs. And I have a feeling that Luis Robert will just run and snatch it from in front of Andrew Benintendi without calling it off. So it goes to Luis Robert Jr. Yeah, I think if I think if Andrew Benintendi and Luis Robert Jr. were both holding on to the staff at the same time and they both got to start tugging at the same time, I don't know. I, I've seen I've seen both of them. Uh, in person, and uh, Luis Robert Jr. would snatch that right out of his hand. I, I, it'd, be yeah. a quick, it'd be a quick tug of war right there. There's some strength in that center fielder for the White Sox. Uh, I, I think that's his staff. I think so, too. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.